these guys survived the David Kahn era of Timberwolves basketball and live to tell about it. It's Flagrant Howls. Live to tell about it is a great way to describe apparently Kyle's night last night. Uh, I don't ask this to be patronizing. Did you get to watch the game as it was happening? Yeah, I uh, I recorded with Dane earlier today, and I said a lot of times I'll joke that the Timberwolves saved my life, but last night they actually did because it was, uh, <laughs> I think the more I research it, I believe it was probably Salmonella or yeah. some sort of bad chicken I had on Sunday. But yesterday I woke up and just wasn't feeling right. And then I am one of the dumber people on earth. So I was like, well, I'll just go to the gym and work it off. And then it got worse. And then all of a sudden I was uh, just crying into a toilet while my laptop was to my right. And it was just basically me, Grady, and Jim Pete hanging out in my bathroom for four hours (laughs) watching one of the the better Timberwolves performances of all time. So we're back. We're eating plain toast. We've got a Gatorade. Okay, um, we're back. Let's but go. But I don't think I had as much fun yesterday, maybe as you and Judd and Declan. So no, we yeah we were inside Target Center for that game, and wow, dude, just like all the feels inside that building last night. I mean, in the last week, they've they've beat. I mean, they played better against Denver than they did against Boston last night. So they beat Denver, the defending champions. I think. Boston might be the best team in the NBA right now after the moves that they made during the offseason. We'll kind of see how it plays out. But to, to not even really play your A game last night, we'll get into all this stuff. Like, I mean, Carl Anthony Towns was awful last night. And Jade McDaniels was like one for nine in the first half. And then he flipped the switch. Like, you, they prob- the Wolves probably played their B-minus game last night. And they beat Boston in overtime. And Anthony Edwards was... A celebration, dude. It was so much fun in that arena last night. I was texting Jim Pete this morning, and he uh, he said just the shot-making, that Mike Conley three uh, late in the game. Obviously, Ant, every shot that Ant made late uh, fourth quarter overtime, Jaden, he said it gave him goosebumps. It was like it felt like a real playoff atmosphere. And uh, yes. the Wolves have actually had some you know playoff games recently. Those series didn't go the way we wanted, but it's just cool, man. I always come back to... My, my take that the fans of this franchise have had the worst return on investment of basically any fan base in the country in any sport. So for them to get a meaningful game on November 6th against, I mean, it's been a crazy week of basketball, right? Like they beat the defending champs all after everyone wanted to fire Chris Finch after the Hawks game, but it's like they beat the defending champs and they blow out uh, a jazz team that was probably way more fun last year than it was this year. And they kind of mm-hmm. punk Walker Kessler and all that stuff. And then, go toe-to-toe last night with the best team in the East, a, a title contender, and to see Ant do it on both ends, to see Jaden and his maturity and his willingness to kind of keep shooting. Uh, and they did it all, like you said, despite Carl, which I'm, I'm sure we'll get into as well. But just a really, I, I would say maybe only a little pushback because I thought they played maybe more of like an A-minus game or like a B-plus. I just thought there's so many things that this team can still do and tweak and fix and get better at but yes they never really let go last night and it was i think the celtics biggest leader was eight it was just a very for most of the players that played it was a very mature professional game by a team that we constantly debate are they young are they old last night they looked like a mature older team uh and they did it with their defense and i think that's another sign of maturity as well they're kind yeah they're kind of buying into defense being the thing that's going to travel from game to game and from quarter to quarter. And so they're, they're like, they're definitely, and they've got some of the the best individual defensive players in the league. I mean, Rudy Gobert, I mean, right now today, Rudy Gobert has the best individual defensive rating in the NBA. Carl Anthony Towns actually second, by the way. So he's, I think even though his shot hasn't come around and there was just a bunch of classic cat behavioral stuff last night, he also is buying into, okay, rebounding and defense and get your ass back down the court, sometimes for him anyways, when he's not complaining to officials. But <laughs> Jay McDaniels, you know, okay, we're going to just uh, put you on Jason Tatum here and make his life difficult for the fourth quarter. And then when Anthony Edwards wants to lock into, that dude played the last 13 minutes of the game with five fouls, and he's still, like, pounding the floor, clamping uh both Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, he had that one, the tie-up situation. So I think two things stood out among a million last night, that this team actually loves playing defense. They love clamping teams. It's November in the NBA, and these guys are like, 
pound on the floor. Let's play some defense. And then secondly, we're seeing Anthony Edwards figure out how to manipulate games and be the best player on a court that also included Jason Tatum. Like Jason Tatum was awesome for most of that game last night. And he was the second best player on the floor. And it's not just Anthony Edwards scoring either, dude. Like it's efficiency. It's finding teammates. It's Jade McDaniels in the corner over here for three. Like that, that should be me setting him up for that shot. It's Mike Conley over there. So it's playmaking, it's efficiency, it's it's defense, it's offense. And we're just seeing it. Everything looks like it's moving slowly for Anthony Edwards. Like he's seeing everything much, much more slowly than he did maybe two years ago. Yeah, I and you brought it up. So I think that's unless you have a specific thing you want to start with. I wanted to just no, start with uh, maybe a little update to our leadership power rankings. Because there, there was that moment and I, I tweeted it out right after the game. But <clears throat> Jaden was one for nine. Jim Pete was all over it that the Celtics were treating him like a bum, just standing off of him eight feet, making him shoot, daring him to shoot. Uh, Ant drives to the middle, kicks it to Jaden in the corner. He hits that three. Celtics call a timeout, and immediately Ant starts clapping his hands in Jaden's face, giving him a pep talk. Uh, so he goes at that made basket. He's two for 10. I think he goes on to shoot six for eight after that, uh, including 10 or 12 points in the fourth quarter in overtime. Mm-hmm. Um, that's. I mean, you love that stuff too. I know you do. Like, that's leadership. That's just, it, it didn't have to be, I mean, Ant could have just done so many other things. It didn't have to connect his teammates or build them up. But in that moment, and he said it after the game too, he's like, when I'm playing bad or when my teammates need me, they continuously trust me and they continuously feed me the ball. So I'm, I can't be a bad teammate and not do the same for my other guys. So he gets Jaden the ball. He's one for nine. It's hard to pass to teammates when they're not playing well. And he trusted them. Went in, him and Nas both were like building them up, and they needed all 20 points that Jaden had on that game because, like you said, Carl wasn't giving him anything. Not a lot of their guys were giving him much offensively. So I just thought that was as much as I love the 30 some points that Ant had and the assists and the rebounds and the defense. It's like I also just love that as a 22 year old, he knew in that moment, not only do I need to pass it to Jaden and trust the teammate and stick with the offense. I got to build my guy up, inflate his tires a little bit. And I just, I was, if he's not the leader of this team now, we've kind of agreed that this is his team. If he's not the number one person in our power rankings, because that might still be Mike Conley, he's definitely elevated himself up to like number two. And a year ago, man, I don't think he was in our top five. I'm trying to think back a year ago. So we did our first ever leadership power rankings, like August, I want to say. Like uh, it was before the season started. Yeah. It was maybe the, the second month of, of Flagrant Howls as a podcast. And I'm pretty sure we did like three different iterations. I'm pretty <laughs> sure Torian Prince was number one at one point. Kyle Anderson was it was like Torian Prince, Kyle Anderson, D'Lo wasn't in there. Cat mm. wasn't in there. No, it was and it was a bunch of I just remember that we kind of came to the agreement that the young Austin guys, Rivers did like Austin, Austin Rivers, Rivers was yeah, in the, the top ghost of Pat Bev. Glenn Taylor's assistant. Like, there's a lot of people in the top five that weren't Ant and Jaden. But again, if you go watch that play, it was late in the second quarter. It was a really big moment because, as good as Jaden was defensively, whether it be on Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum, his inability to hit shots was killing them. And it's hard as a player to not only be one of nine, but I mean, I've I've dealt with this a couple times in pickup, like where guys are just daring you to shoot. That mentally screws you over so hard, and he just kept shooting, kept shooting, and then to have his teammate, the best player on the floor, as you said, continuously trust him, uh, it was big because, and this ties into Jaden's extension and all that stuff, but at some point, as this team navigates moving forward this season into seasons in the future, they're going to need Jaden to be able to score more, too. That's why you pay him $27 million a year. So I just thought it was a really cool moment for Ant, cool moment for Jaden. I mean, Ant's so good post-game, always feeding his teammates and building them up. But in the moment to build up your teammate and not, you know, I don't know, there was, Dane brought up a good point today about Carl kind of showing Jaden up early in the game, which is something Carl normally doesn't do. But I hate that stuff. I hate when Rudy Gobert was showing up his teammates last year. Yeah, uh, That's just, it's the little things like that, right? That aren't necessarily on basketball reference. It's just chemistry yes. and trust and leadership those things are equally, if not more important than in the shots you take and the shots you make. I do think we should we should actually rank 
the leadership power rankings. We can't we can't okay. bring it up and then float some names. I I think we should go. Let's let's come up with you and I are a committee and we'll come up okay. with a top five right now. I think Conley's still number one in the leadership. Mike, yeah, I do too. I and I also know I've said this before. Like talking to people around the team, I still think it's Mike. I still think he commands that locker room. I think they look to him in moments. I also too, as a uh, food poisoning survivor, know what Mike was going through in that Atlanta game. Uh, and it's hard to do anything other than just cry and puke your organs out. So oh, I think so without bad. Mike in Atlanta. It was tough. And again, you know, there's still a lot of other guys that could have picked up the ball and the slack. But, yeah, I think Mike is still the, the straw that stirs the drink. I saw a stat last night, Phil, that in the first game of the season, and like the of this season, first minute or so, Mike Conley had a turnover. He hasn't, he hasn't had, had one since then. Yeah, That's crazy. Insane. And last night he was actually, not that plus minus is in, in individual games isn't like a be-all, end-all, but he was a minus... 19 when he checked back in and hit that go-ahead three-pointer and he was a he was a minus 18 for the game Rudy Gobert was a plus 24 and Anthony Edwards was a plus 18 and Nikhil Alexander Walker was a plus 13 so it's it's weird that like he was just the standout and and I'm not saying it was all his fault it was just maybe it was just a matchup thing or whatever but he kind of grinded through just every time he was on the court the Celtics were on a run Mm -hmm. it felt like and and there he is at the end. I, I just think as a guy that doesn't turn it over, as an adult in the room, a guy that knows how to initiate offense and get guys involved, but then like he can still hit a big three-pointer at the end of a game in which he's kind of struggling. He's still the eldest statesman in that room, so he's number one. Dude, I think Anthony Edwards is number two. I do too. I would go I think he's Ant- leapfrogged Kyle. Kyle three. Yep. Then it gets a little dicey. I would say... Rudy Gobert, four, and Nas Reed, five. Yep, no pushback. I don't think Nas has jumped over Rudy yet. Again, I go back to a lot of media day stuff that you and I were there where a lot of the younger guys really talked about how Rudy's kind of taken him under his wing and like his professionalism. I think he's just a really, again, last year notwithstanding because he was fighting his own teammates on the court, but I think he's (laughs) found more comfortability with his own health with his teammates. I think the younger guys look up to him and his work ethic, the way he grinds, the way he's in the gym after practices and after games, still working on his body. So yeah, I think, I think Mike still is the CEO of, of this locker room on the court. And, uh, who do we have three? Oh, Kyle, Kyle, Rudy and Nas. Um, and I I think there's other guys that fill in, in nice spots. I don't think Jaden is really a leader, but that's not a negative thing. I just don't think, I think he does his leading by doing yeah. the worst position or the worst task you can have, and that's just having to defend the other team's best he, player all the time. He's so, a roar. You need, you yeah. need, there's some guys that need to kind of look out at where we're rowing here, and he's more of a, hey, dude, here's an oar. Just yep. go. You just do your thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. I row the boat. Uh, he's, he's rowing the boat, but he just – I mean, they have a lot of other leaders, right? You don't need him right now. Down the road again, just like you're going to need Jaden to score more, you might need him to have more of a leadership role, but – I really think this team has so many leaders. Uh, I think we're not putting Finch on there. I don't think we ever have, but I think Finch is another guy that, if he's not on the leadership power rankings, he is empowering these guys. I thought after the game, Ant had a really cool thing in the locker room where he was talking about Finchy. Like, despite all the stuff Ant has going on in the summers, new shoe, Netflix movie, uh, Team USA, that Finch like basically demanded that he come back to Minnesota a bunch of times so they could work on situational things like being double teamed, being down five, yes. doing these little things. So uh, it's a really good group of guys. It's a bummer uh, that Carl Anthony Towns isn't in that top five, uh, especially in this yeah. ninth season. And I'm, maybe this is a good time to segue into that. But, do you want to, uh, yeah, do you, sh- should we do that, that part of the conversation here? Have we said enough good things about, I mean, there's a, there's a, I feel like there's two hours of great things to say about the game last night. And, but the, but the Carl thing is such an interesting elephant in the room because on one hand he's gonna shoot better at some point he's he's gone through stretches before where he's looked bad for like five games or six games and then he kind of finds himself so on one hand i'm optimistic that wow they're four and two and he hasn't even joined the party yet and he's gonna join the party to some extent but then on the other hand like nas reed if you look at it's it's a six game sample nas reed right now player efficiency rating among 
all NBA bigs, so all power forwards, all centers, is ninth in player efficiency rating through through six games. He's Nas Reed is ninth among all players, period, in win shares per 48 minutes. So we're again we're dealing in super small samples here, and Carl is going to play better than he did last night. But it's uh it's a dynamic. It's a dynamic right now. Yeah. <sighs> I don't want to regurgitate any of the stuff I said earlier today with Dane, but it to me it's it's more complicated than just trade cat or dump cat, and that doesn't mean that I, I am very much no player on this team because you still get criticism, right? Even if you're four and two and you're on a little hot streak, there's still plenty of criticism to go around, and this yeah, thing can Anthony get better. Edwards took a couple dumb shots last night. Like there's criticism, yeah. yeah. There's always criticism, and that that, that should if you're a Timberwolves fan and you've been in the mud for 34 years like that should make you feel optimistic that this thing looks pretty good right now and there's so many different things that they can get better at uh but when it comes to carl i just think it's more nuanced than trade cat or get rid of cat i have no pushback whatsoever on the emotional stuff the the showing up the officials that's just been a staple of his career and it's a bummer uh i was pretty adamant though that he's never been one to ever show up as teammates and again, Dane had one last night where early in the game, and I think Jaden got blocked by Porzingis, maybe the first play of the game, or there was a turnover early where mm-hmm. Carl kind of showed up Jaden. I don't know if you remember that being there, but I do. Yeah. That's the type of stuff that, like, I mean, we 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 were pretty down and dismissive of Rudy last year when he would do that stuff. I hate that stuff. I hate not even in sports and work and your relationships with your family. I hate yeah. showing people up. Like, I'm I'm very confrontational. Let's have a talk about it. Let's do it privately, like grownups, but Doing it on the court like that is just loser mentality. So it's like do- quick side street. It's like my my wife and I had this conversation a couple of days ago. Not because we do it, but it drives both of us nuts when we hear people complaining about their spouse or their significant other when they like your wife isn't around and you're with the yep. guys or you're in a setting and you like throw your wife under the bus for something and that always bothers me. It's like no, you're on the same team. Like you're literally your teammates for life. Why are you throwing that person under the bus? And and to a lesser extent, the same is true in basketball, where you can always tell if a culture is a little off or if if a player is a little off within a culture if that if that stuff leaks out publicly, right? Like the Miami Heat, except for the one notable instance uh, where Jimmy Butler wanted to fight Eric Spolstra on the bench, <laughs> like they try to like let's hey, if we're gonna hash it out, let's do it behind closed doors. But we out here in front of everybody. When we're going into a war, a basketball game, we got each other's backs, right? That was odd. And and to me, again, Conley Towns was the number one overall pick many years ago. It was the right move, right? There was there was a chance the late great Flip Saunders, rest in peace, was going to take Jalil Okafor, who is not in the league, um, and he hasn't fully ever elevated this franchise to where a guy like Ant is now elevating the franchise. Um, but I have always been, and I just am a loyal person to a fault, and I have a, I mean, there's a ton of criticism you could say about me, but I've just always enjoyed the fact that he's embraced being here, trying to make it work, and for what I would say eight and point oh five seasons has been a great teammate and has always tried to uplift the guys around him. Last night, in that moment with Jaden and stuff, that just tells me that that man is so lost, and it's not trying to be sympathetic, it's just... Once he starts doing that, that tells you that he's not even himself. And it then, again, to the nuance part of this, Phil, I don't think this team's ceiling is as high without Carl. But I also know that last night he was about as close as can be to submarining one of yeah. the best performances this team and Chris Finch has ever had in his tenure here. So it's going to be the number one thing. I mean, we now know Anthony Edwards is a super duper star. Like, ESPN came out with their top 25 under 25 today. He was ranked ahead of Wemby, which is bananas. He was number two behind Luka. We know whose team this is. We know that they have a foundational thing with him and Jaden and Nas, and you have Rudy Gobert playing defensive player of the year. Um, but I just think, and people don't like this, but you gotta, you got to give it a couple weeks. I mean, this goes back to Tim Conley, right? He's never made a trade, other than the Gobert trade, uh, when he, until it was on his time. Right? He, he traded D'Lo when he wanted to trade D'Lo. He extended mm-hmm. Nas when he wanted to extend Nas. I think if they end up eventually trading Carl, they'll do it on his timeline, probably February. But I just think they got to see if they can 
I don't know if it's a lobotomy or a sports psychologist, but they got to get into his head because he's still a really good player. If he would have hit four of those seven threes last night instead of one, they'd probably blow the Celtics out. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know, man. It's, it's, it's once he started acting up around his teammates that really – he's always acted up against the officials or the opponent, but yeah. I hate that stuff. I hate that stuff, and um, this team has too many good things going for it to start – Again, it's why we hated the Kyle and Rudy situation last year. It's like, don't do that. Be professionals. Like you said, if you're going to criticize your spouse, criticize her to his or her face uh, in a private setting. Don't do it in behind their back or in public or whatever like that. And it's really – it's like sort of th- three categories of stuff that he just continues to struggle with. It's, it's, it's stuff that, okay, if you're in your second year – and you're a little foul happy. All right, you're gonna iron that out. You know, if you're or, so if, to me, the three categories are fouls, emotions, and then offensive consistency. We've talked about the offensive stuff too lately. Is that he doesn't even really know, and you don't know as a fan, as media, as a coach, you don't know what you're getting from him on a nightly basis. It's kind of weird that you'd have a former All NBA player two years ago who's what, 27, 28 years old. He's been in the league for eight, nine years, whatever it is. And it's like on any given night, you're like, is he going to shoot threes? Is he going to like, is he going to work in the low block? Is he going to pass and get his teammates involved? And and so like, it, it feels to me like independent of the fouls and the emotions and all that stuff that's driven me crazy for years and years and years. It feels like he's trying to shoehorn his offensive game into like, there's a team thing happening here, kind of led by Anthony Edwards and Mike Conley, and and we've got we've got an idea, not perfectly, of what we want to do, and then we're gonna we're gonna pause that now for this possession, and it's gonna be Carl's turn to get offense. It very rarely feels like Carl is within the flow of what they're trying to do, and Chris Finch kind of took some blame for that. It's funny, like they beat the Celtics, and one of the first things Chris Finch says in the first two minutes of his post game press conference last night was, you know, I probably should have worked to call some more plays to get cat going, you know, in, in that fourth quarter, get him, get him on the low block. It's like, I mean, maybe, or maybe he needs to find out how does he work within all of this? I don't think you should have to like stop and say, okay, how do we get Carl going specifically? You know, I don't, maybe I'm wrong on that. They also nope. had small players guarding him. And for seven years, he hasn't figured out how to score on smaller players on a regular basis. So, yeah, Dane Moore was really big on this a couple of years ago when Carl was all NBA. He was the he was the playing the five and he was driving to the basket and he had shades, just shades of of Giannis, right? Like he was unstoppable driving to the yeah. basket. He can and so if something you did that put you at your best is no longer like he can't do that. He cannot pump fake from the three point line now and drive to the basket because there's just Rudy down there and sometimes Nas as well playing the three. So I, I actually would say as someone who is unapologetically pro Chris Finch, I do think there are ways for this coaching staff to put Carl in better situations. I know that they don't want to do this, but maybe you just plant him in the corner and have him, you know, hit corner threes. Uh, I think there's other ways to do that from a basketball standpoint that can get him back. Because again, I kind of said this earlier, if, if you were to ask other contenders around the league, would you rather play the Timberwolves with Carl Anthony Towns or without Carl Anthony Towns when it comes to the playoffs? I bet you they would all say we'd rather play him without Carl Anthony Towns because he's still a night a matchup nightmare. So the, the, the coaching staff has to figure out the basketball stuff. But Carl has to figure out the mental stuff. And that's why I think mm-hmm. he's losing more and more fans at a rapid... I mean, I couldn't believe that after 30 seconds of last night's game so many people just wanted to talk about Carl. Like, I get it. We got to talk about it. But maybe today, maybe tomorrow, like, I don't think that's, there wasn't one of the first 12 things that came to my mind after that game. The mental stuff, it's all on him. There's no more excuses. He's doing Mm -hmm. the same stuff. Like, I don't mind that he was one for seven from three. I trust his shot will fall. But, you know, he had that first possession, I think maybe in overtime, where again, he just drives on Drew Holiday and just gives him the arm bar. It's like, dude, you know they're going to call that. You know they're not going to give you the whistle, yeah. right? Your, you, the, your teammate, Anthony Edwards, doesn't get a good whistle. Just everyone has to deal with adversity, man. And you've dealt with a lot. That's it. But that's it. You know, I've, I'm not trying to compare myself to him or you to him, but like, we all have to deal with adversity. And if you don't change or get better, 
at some point it becomes a little boy who cried wolf and no pun intended. Like you just got to find other ways to contribute and, and help your team because Carl doesn't have to play perfect anymore. I mean, he did those first five, six years or whatever, like when he didn't have a lot of talent around him, he doesn't have to play perfect. The weight of this franchise is not on his shoulders anymore. It's on ants. Like he should be able to play free and just be happy. And he looks more miserable than ever. He does. He has to figure that out. No one else is responsible for that. It looks like that's a great observation, dude. It's the least fun he has looked like he's had playing basketball since he was drafted. Maybe with a couple exceptions here and there. And also, he's shocked every time a call doesn't go his way. Every every time he plays close defense and they whistle him for a foul, or every time he drives in like you're talking about on a on a Drew Holiday or some other defender, you know, it's we've used poker analogies up and down this show for the last year and a half. It's like if you're gonna be a professional poker player, one of the first things you have to know is that you're going to lose a lot of hands. Like you're even when you have the best odds in an all in situation, like you might only be an 80, 20 favorite. So you need to go in mentally preparing yourself. Hey, I'm going to play in a poker tournament or I'm going to play like eight hours of a cash game or I'm going to play blackjack or whatever. Like I'm going to lose 20 to 25% or whatever that percentage is. And I almost feel like he needs that like mental reminder or mental training or therapy as a basketball player that, okay, I'm going to play 82 basketball games in the regular season or as many as I can out of 82. And I'm going to play 36 minutes a night. And within those minutes, there's going to be like five or six times, maybe even more where I feel like I got screwed or I disagree with something that's going to happen out of your control. And the only thing you can control is how you react, respond. Do you keep playing? Do you hustle back down on defense? Do you drain the energy from your teammates from the bench, right? These are also like, if your main goal, I was telling this to Judd earlier, I think he has the first or second most fouls of any player in the NBA the last five years. He's like crazy foul happy, right? On a, on a per game basis. So in his mind, he needs officials to favor him more with the whistle, right? Now, we could sit here and we could debate whether he's actually getting a bad whistle or whether he's just, like, not in control of his body enough. But let's say that he's not getting a good whistle. You're trying to ultimately convince human beings with whistles to favor you more. What behavior would you exhibit if you're trying to coax these human beings to favor you more with their whistle, probably not showing them up 10 times a game. Like, how do you not think about this stuff? How, and I'm sure people have sat him down before, but if you're trying to get a better whistle, showing up referees every single night, five or six different times, isn't going to help you. I, yeah, I have no, I have no pushback. Sorry. I, I'm just like, <laughs> I, I, I just come back to, and you know, you, you had said that what, I can't remember what your exact stat was, but like Rudy Gobert is basically, Analytically, the stats are saying he's like the best defender right now in the league. Mm-hmm. But Carl's defensive stats are really good. Be- like right best now. of his career through, through six games, right? And I, but, I, saw yeah. this, I saw this earlier today that I think the team's, the Timberwolves' offensive rating with him on the court is higher than it is for any other player on the team with at least 20 minutes played. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's a lot of stuff still that's like, hey, you're doing a lot of things well, even though maybe production standpoint, it's not really, but it's just, the I started to coin a term like this energy vampire of just just yeah. don't suck the life out of a, you got a good thing going. Uh, this is the most talented team he has ever played on, even going back to Kentucky. Um, and we're what three months removed from him being the best player on a team with little expectations for the Dominican Republic. And he and he said this. One of his friends told me this at media day. Like that was the most fun Carl's ever had playing basketball. Okay, that's awesome, and it's meaningful, and he got to play for his mother's country. I love that. But you have to find a way to bottle that now for this because you're Why is team, this not fun? Well, yeah, why is this not what this team has expectations, but you're not the guy that has to answer the questions anymore, right? Like that, that's why I still, even if I've decreased a little bit of my love and excitement for him, like I still come back to he, he stood there for many years when this team was a dumpster fire all around him, and wore the shorts and held the flag. You don't have to do any of that anymore. You just have to do the little things, right? I mean, Rudy Gobert has really embraced now, not only is he a defensive 
I have a question for you about him as well. But yeah, he's yeah. just been awesome. But I think he's just diverted back to being a $40 million role player because he knows that I don't have to be the guy. That's how he was at his best when he was playing with Donovan Mitchell in Utah. Mm-hmm. For Carl, it's like, yeah, this isn't the Dominican Republic anymore. You're not the best player on the team. But, you know, you wouldn't it be more fun to play with more talent and have expectations? Like, doesn't that See, make you thing, feel alive? It almost feels like... With the Dominican Republic example and then comparing just the utter sort of look of dread on his face for half of these games now compared to maybe five or six years ago when they were a a bad team with lesser expectations, but he was clearly the best player. I do wonder if he just tends to have more fun when he's the only child on the team, like he's the best player on the team. They're not really winning that much and the expectations are a lot lower, but it it seems that that's whether it's Dominican Republic with a bunch of other better teams in that tournament or the five years ago, Timberwolves before Jimmy Butler got here. Like, I don't know. I'm just speculating, but it seems like he had more fun in those, in those settings than this, right now. This is going to relate to about three people listening to this, but uh, I think it's Trey Turner in baseball with the nationals or with the Phillies. He's with the Phillies Philly. now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was, signed a massive, massive contract with the Phillies uh, in the offseason like a year ago or whatever. But he had like a really bad start or whatever, and the Phillies fans decided to just randomly start giving him standing ovations when he came yeah. up to the bat. And it led to like his career or season taking off. And it was like one of the coolest little random fan moments of all time. Mm-hmm. I think Carl could have shot three for 10 last night with 7.7 turnovers and six fouls and had gotten sympathy from the fans had he not done just all the theatrical yeah. stray voltage stuff, right? Like he's clearly going through it, man. Like that's, that's a fact, like confirmed. He's going through it. He doesn't know who he is right now. And I sympathize a little bit, but I go back to the other side of like the criticism. He's the number one guy that should be criticized right now because it's like you helped keep this boat afloat, right? For the rowing analogy, like you helped keep this thing from not moving to Seattle. <laughs> like now your life should be easier and you should be having more fun because you have more talent and your team's actually winning games and they're not calling you an empty stat guy. Uh, and for him to not embrace that just is really frustrating. And I get why more people are turning on him. I just, I still come back to this team in my opinion. I think you think this too. Their ceiling remains the highest if you have Carl playing good basketball, because the alternative, and this will come up at some point, maybe be February or next off season, mm-hmm. you know, if they do move on from him, like, you know, what is the, what are the alternatives? I love Nas Reed and he can slide into the four, but this team still will have to outscore teams every now and then they didn't play good defense against Atlanta, gave up a ton of points. They had to kind of shoot their way into that game in the first half. They're going to need more offensive firepower. I mean, last night, Jane McDaniels took, 18 field goal attempts that was a career high for him they don't they're not flush Mm -hmm. with scores and if a team does just double ant for an entire game in the playoffs you got to have a guy that can give you five or six threes on 10 attempts so it is the number one question facing this team but we also need to acknowledge that they're six games in um i they've already fired their coach i think according to some people (laughs) so let's see what it looks like in 20 games from now but as much as I think the coaching staff can do some things to help him out, Carl Anthony Towns has been in the league too long and seen too many things for him to not have a real self-awareness moment, look in the mirror and be like, what, what am I doing wrong here? Yeah. I want to hear your, uh, your Jimmy Butler, Rudy Gobert <laughs> oh, I was, well, topic. I was, I was on some level of NyQuil, but I was thinking back to we did our top 100 Wolves of all time. I think we had Jimmy second. Behind yeah, Kevin Garnett, or he correct, was in yeah. the top five on any. By, by the person. way, we, we do have an update on. Uh, we have a couple things. We have filled out the the listener that sent us the original <laughs> top one hundred. So we did our hundred, and then another listener sent one hundred to two hundred, and then the original one sent us the last eighty seven players. So we we now have, we'll get to it. We have a full ranking. And then we also have uh, Kevin Swift is a listener who sent us his top 100 Timberwolves via NBA 2K peak career rankings. So we, we will get back to those Wolves rankings at some point. I, I think we just at this point need to rank every single player that's ever played for the team just so we can get down to like who was the single worst 
That'd yeah. be something. Well, dude, that's, but that's what one of these is. I th- apparently, there's only 287 players that have played for the Timberwolves. Oh, I'm so in. I can't. So wait. we do have a full okay. complete list. Yeah. So I was just thinking back to our rankings, and you know, Jimmy Butler only had really one good year here, and then kind of torpedoed his way out. But that one year was so good, and he had brought something that this team had rarely ever had in its history, and we just vaulted him to the top five. I we also did those rankings, and I think Rudy was always top Golf? fifteen. Yeah, not yeah. maybe top ten, but I'm just curious for you because the discourse on this man, Rudy Gobert, has changed dramatically over these first six games. I mean, for for some people, he he is the best defensive player in the league through six games, and mm-hmm. he's anchoring the best defense in the league. What would he have to do? for him to elevate himself above Jimmy Butler on the all-time Timberwolves rankings? Great question, dude. First of all, some of us defended Rudy Gobert's performance last year and said it it may not be what you saw at his peak in Utah, but he gives you so much that you don't see in a box score, even like a lesser version of him. Maybe it's not worth the trade. Maybe it's not worth 50 plus million dollars a year, but he is still one of the best, most impactful players in the NBA, and he was. I think he led the Timberwolves in some of the advanced analytics categories and win shares and stuff last year. So, you know, people, like, over-dramatized how bad he was last year. A lot of it was he was a little worse, and the fit was a little bit weird, and they're trying to figure this thing out on the fly. Now you're, I think now you're seeing what they thought was going to happen pretty early last season, that this was going to click a lot sooner. I don't think when Tim Connolly made that trade... I don't think he was figuring, well, the first year is going to be kind of a train wreck and there's going to be a bunch of injuries. And in the, But the second year, it was kind of a win-now move. So I don't know. I defended him a little bit last year. Good to see he's blossoming. That's a great question. The th- Jimmy Butler was the leader of the team, right? He was perceived to be like the main reason why they are winning these games. He's dragging. It, it felt like he was dragging young players and role players to 46 wins and a playoff berth. It doesn't feel like Rudy Gobert is doing that because this roster is better and Anthony Edwards is the leading offensive player and Carl's a better offensive player and Rudy feels like much more of a role player. But it might be fair to say that Rudy's impact on the team is equal to Jimmy's impact on the team in terms of wins and losses and analytics. So if this team were to win, I'll answer your question this way. If this team were to win 50 games again, I'm making up an arbitrary number, but like get back to 50 wins. So now you've, you've had a more successful regular season than you've had in 20 years and, and, and maybe you win a playoff series. And a lot of it's rooted in defense where you are a top five or top three defensive team. And Rudy is the face of that. And then, and now he's been here for two years, three years. I think you would start. You'd also be, by the way, if all that happens, you would then elevate Anthony Edwards over Jimmy Butler. Yep. Like this version of Anthony Edwards that we've seen the first six games, he's probably the second best player in franchise history. Like he probably jumps up over Jimmy Butler, but Rudy Gobert might come along for that ride. So it it could happen one year from now if we did that exercise, we could be ranking both those guys above Jimmy Butler. I'm so glad you started that off with saying that's a good question because I struggle with confidence. But I was when I thought about that on NyQuil one of these last couple minutes, I was like, that is a really good question. Yeah. I will say this, and the reason I was pointing at you on the screen because I was thinking that same thing and it wasn't as arbitrary. If the Wolves were to win 50 games this year and finish with a top, let's say, three defense, mm-hmm. I'm just, everyone has the right to their own opinions and have their own favorite pizza toppings. If they win 50 games this year and finish with a top three defense, I'm just telling you right now for next offseason, Rudy Gobert jumps Jimmy Butler on the rankings. Yeah. Because I think the Jimmy stuff was awesome. But it wasn't as long as you thought. There was no playoff success whatsoever. And the torpedoing behind the scenes, I just... And again, don't tell me that it's like, well, no, that he can never jump Jimmy because they paid so much to get Rudy. They paid a lot to get Jimmy. Oh, yeah. Right? And Zach the, Levine the, the, and Lauren the price, Mark, to, like, the price to acquire, I don't think, would factor in. But, I mean, if you kind of put it all into a blender. So, yeah, I think this team has not acquired many star players in their 35 years. It's always kind of been a hodgepodge of trying to get lucky in the draft but I was thinking about that because we really put Jimmy on a pedestal and rightfully so it was a really fun year and they flirted with a really good defense that year as well but I just can't believe I used to last year I tuned into Timberwolves games despite Rudy Gobert and yes you have always been defending him 
and had way more of an analytical understanding. I will say last year, he was kind of an energy vampire in the way he was showing yep. up his teammates. Agreed. This year, I don't know other than, I guess, two for 11 from the free throw line last night, which That's is a bad. bummer because he was shooting pretty well, I think, the first five games before that. Mm-hmm. Um, He's like 75% the first five games. Yeah, I don't know, going back to criticism, I don't know what criticisms I have of Rudy Gobert. He has been awesome. There was a moment last night where Tatum got around to pick and roll. Jason Tatum, Jason Bleeping Tatum, got to the paint, saw Rudy Gobert, and just kind of, nope, and just... <laughs> and there's like a there's a Simpsons meme where the guy walks into the bar and just immediately turns around and walks back out. That was Jason Tatum in the paint last night. It yeah. was incredible to watch. I think as much love as Jaden McDaniels has gotten, and I'm maybe the biggest fan, this team's still the head of it, the anchor of it is Rudy Gobert. And I just think I was asking this to Dane too. I wonder what your opinion is. I think having a team that's built on defense is way more fun than being built on offense. Boy, that's another dude. You're on fire it, right I, now. You I should think get food it, well, poisoning more often. <laughs> I think it signals maturity. I, that's what I said to Dane. Like, I think immature teams. I mean, I play pickup basketball all the time. Like, anyone can just go shoot and get buckets. But does it lead to winning? I mean, that was like yep. the Kevin Love thing for the while. Like all these empty stat, empty calorie guys. Playing good defense is a sign that you're locked in, that you're on a string, that all five guys are on the same page. And as cool as it is to see your favorite team score 140 in today's day and age, in 2023, it is way more fun to watch Jason Tatum struggle or watch Jalen Brown struggle. Like That, to me, is what real hard old basketball is all about. And even, like, uh, I continue to be impressed by how smart the Target Center fans are, oh the ones God, that yeah. show up to these games, and the things that they'll cheer. And obviously, like, when Anthony Edwards is going on a scoring barrage in overtime to ice the game, the crowd's going crazy, and then he, and he feels the energy, and he wants to hit that last three, and then... But some of the biggest pops were defensive pops. It was like they play really good defense for 20 seconds on the shot clock, and then... You know, somebody will force up a shot or maybe get to the rim and and the shot will get altered and boom, like cat grabs the rebound, crowd goes crazy or 24 second shot clock violation. So, I mean, aesthetically, your team scoring 140 points like the Sacramento Kings or something last year where every every game was like a race to 125, 130 points. Aesthetically, that's fun. Like it's. It's stimulating. It's two and a half hours and everyone's going up and down scoring. But if your goal is to watch your team be able to win games on a more regular basis, I think I think rooting it in defense the way that they are is more sustainable because it gives you a night like last night where two of your five starters literally can't hit a shot for the first hour and a half of real time. And yet you're winning, (laughs) you know, because and everyone's buying into it. You also said, um, what was the other thing? Oh, uh, back to the top, to the top ten. Uh, your other question, Rudy Gobert, oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. when he, we, if I remember, we actually had Carl Anthony Towns as the second best player in franchise history. It was KG Towns, and then I had Butler, I think, third yep. behind those two guys. Yep. Towns has been doing it for eight years, but if if Towns is clearly no longer the best player on the team, and this team gets to fifty wins. And it's a top two, top three defense. And Anthony Edwards is the leader of the whole thing. And Rudy Gobert is the offensive uh, defensive anchor. Is there a scenario where both of those guys would jump both Cat and Jimmy Butler one year from now? Uh, a year, a year from now. Yeah, it's it'll it'll always be Kevin Garnett until this. KG's number one for sure. Yeah, until but jumping Cat, jumping Cat and Butler. Yeah, I could see a year from now, Ant jumping Cat and Butler. Um. Rudy jumping cat. I don't know. Like that way again. This has been a really fun six games. But <laughs> look at I, us right now. I do watch them that, lose. By the way, they started four and two last year, and then they lost like five games in a row. So one one game at a time in, here. In nine, <laughs> well, and again, there are a handful of, I guess, people you could call fans that cheer for this team in the weirdest ways, where they just want to constantly poke holes in things. The difference between this four and two and last year's four and two is that again, I. I think this team has a real identity. Yeah. And last year they were just kind of making it up on the fly. And that's why they were just kind of like trying to get a win any night they could. This year's team has a purpose uh, and a real persona about them. So yeah. And, and, you know, I always think back to that Hawks game. Like, I don't know if they beat the Nuggets as handily as they did, if they don't 
have a slip up earlier in the season. I do think these games are intertwined that, you know, if you have an embarrassing loss on one night that refocuses you, but yeah, I just think in general to be four and two with the also two going back to your target center fans thing. Like you put a, you put up a cool video last night about Nas Reed when he entered the game and just the fan, I'm telling you, man, these fans just, they deserve it. And they've been great. I mean, we're a year removed from doing way too many podcasts about booing people. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And that was deservedly so. So I'm glad the fans, it's been great. I think the Wolves are off to a 4-0 start at home for the first yep. time since 2004. Um, Sounds about right. Yeah. It's, it's cool to have, like, your favorite team, the team you cover, have a home court advantage and have, you know, the fans are awesome and they're really – I like the, what is it, bricking for chicken in the fourth quarter. I, I do love that <laughs> as well. Grady loves that. Uh, but yeah, it's just been a really cool start, and then it doesn't get any easier. Go look at the November schedule, by the it's way. It's brutal, dude. It's Every November so game tough. <laughs> is awesome. I was talking uh, like Pelicans coming up, so Zion, then Wemby on Friday. Two Warriors games: Suns, Pelicans, Knicks, Tibbs, Sixers, Joel Embiid, Kings, Grizzlies. Little history there. Thunder, and then they end the month with the Jazz. So when's the next game that you would say? Like when do they get to play the Hornets any... and just have like a smoke break? That's December oh, that's, 2nd at oh, Charlotte. Wow. <laughs> okay, cool. That'll be the, the first game in December. Yeah. Yeah. But that's even that. Like, we know this this team was not good against below 500 teams last year. So I think you'd, you'd probably rather them keep playing these good. I mean, Anthony Edwards clearly shows up against the Bostons and the Denvers. So the the first the first in-season uh, tournament game is going to be that Friday, this upcoming Friday, right, at San Antonio. I think yep. that's the, the first one. And then the back-to-back against Golden State. So... Dude, I told you, by the way, this is going to be a shorter episode because you have food poisoning. And I'm sorry, man. I've kept you for like 50 nah, minutes dude, here. I'm all you're up. grinding out. It's your Did second you, uh, podcast. I got to ask you quick before we close it out. Like now that you're back, you're living in Minnesota, you're back around the team in the stadium. Like you've been going to a lot of games, been getting back to the media room a little bit. Like give me a quick 30 second synopsis of it. What's just your overall thoughts and how does it feel? How a temperature I, of the room and everything. I think like. I'll answer it this way, and that earlier in my, I guess, media career, if you want to call it that, I, so I was, a, I was a beat writer who covered the Twins, went to a bajillion Twins games, and covered the Vikings beat for a number of years, and went to a bajillion Vikings games, and I, I feel like I was at every game all the time for like 10 or 15 years, and I feel like I almost got desensitized to going to games. I almost, I, I think I started to take for granted, and by the way, there were some some of those teams took major downturns. Like the yeah. Vikings drafted Christian Ponder and then the twins had like bilateral leg weakness into a decade of darkness. And I was just kind of like, ah, I'm going to get more on the like behind the scenes building side and I'll still be doing radio shows and podcasts. When, and then my wife and I moved to Seattle for a couple of years. So we were kind of away from like the actual on the ground, the arenas and the stadiums. But I love it now. I think I, I feel like the energy in that building last night as a fan, as a fan and as someone who does this for a living, you know, spouts off about Minnesota sports, I am addicted to that energy. Yeah. A winning team with with something to prove and something to show, right? Like what the Vikings are building right now, what the twins showed you at the end of the season. I love that energy. And I feel like we haven't had enough of it in the last 10 years around here for all these teams. You know, it's been since 1991 since any of these teams went and even played for a championship. But it, it feels like there's some really fun, interesting things brewing here with Vikings. We don't know who their quarterback's going to be in a year, but Vikings, Timberwolves, Twins. The Wild are kind of in a, I don't know, like a holding pattern right now. But Yeah, well, you and I are, I'm, crack, I'm you and I are cracking guys anyway. So, um, <laughs> But I, I will say, yeah, and again, I'm never going to tell people how to cheer or how to think. There's just certain people, again, the people that wanted to talk about Cat 30 seconds after last night's win, I'll just never befriend you. But I sometimes, as I get older, have learned to enjoy the process more than the results. Um, and that's why I keep coming back to, they just won a regular season game last night. They're just 4-2, and two, right? Like, they could stumble and lose by 30 to the Pelicans. Yeah. But I enjoy watching this get, like, a house analogy. I enjoy, as a sicko, watching the entire house get built from foundation to final product rather than just getting the keys and getting into the house. Yeah. Um, so I know that there's a couple people still that big, like, oh, dude in May, dude in the playoffs. Like, 
okay, yeah, that's how this will for sure. Yeah, eventually we'll get be there. <laughs> rewarded and recorded in the histories and whatever. But last night was a cool moment because for fifty three minutes you watched many players from Nikhil even to Nas to to Kyle Anderson to Mike Conley just grow and become closer, and the chemistry is kind of developing in front of our eyes, and you're seeing this defense just make everyone's life a nightmare. So if you if you haven't bought in yet and you're, you're still a little nervous because you've had your heart broken 34 other times, I get it. But this, this team seems like they, I don't know, man, for the first time in a long time, is building something that's concrete and sustainable. Uh, and I'm excited to watch it play out over the next 76 games. They've had a few other attempts at building houses over the last 20 years. It's like like an arson will come by and light it on fire. Jimmy Butler, yeah. ah, yeah, get out. So, yeah, man, New Orleans tomorrow night and then San Antonio for the first in-season playoff game for the Wolves on Friday night. You and I are going to reconvene yep. on a Thursday, I believe, for yep. Flagrant Howls. And we'll get you some more liquids, some some IVs. I've had, I've had food poisoning three times in my life. Uh, 12 years old, McDonald's McChicken. Took me about 10 more years before I consumed another one. I'm glad that I got back on the McChicken bandwagon, but it took me about 10 years. Underrated food item. Yeah, I agree. Especially late at night. Yep. A couple drinks. Uh, George Foreman Grill, grilled chicken breast. And I knew as I was cutting into it, I was like, this. Yeah, that's what I feel like they should cook this a little longer, but I didn't know anything. It was in college. And then uh, some, some odd tasting brisket in Scottsdale about two years ago i uh celebrated the vikings win josh dobbs day with uh i was like i immediately went and got some chicken breasts and i started cooking them up but i was so excited i was watching Ventline and uh i was texting you and i might have just cooked the chicken a little i don't know maybe i didn't even cook it i can't remember but uh meat thermometer man you got it yeah i don't make my wife makes fun of me she's like do you always have to use the Honey, do you have to bring the meat thermometer to uh, to Murray's Steakhouse downtown Minneapolis? I'm like, I am not going to get duped by undercooked chicken. Listen, I know there's some grill aficionados out there that can just eyeball it. Um, but I'm, again, you and I are analytical people. I like the numbers. 165, I, man. Yep, I believe that you can look at the meat and figure out if it's ready. But I just, you know, like to double check every now and then. I like to poke the meat. Yep. Well, we're going to meme that last comment from <laughs> Kyle. And with that, we appreciate you guys hanging out with us here on your favorite Timberwolves lifestyle podcast. If you could give us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts, you can help us keep growing this uh, this awesome community of Timberwolves fans. And a like and a subscribe on the Score North YouTube channel. He's Kyle. I'm Phil. 